Yeah, yeah, the moment's passed. Yeah, well. I interpreted that as the as the possessive moment apostrophe has passed, as though the moment has its own past. Ooh, nice. I like that. Oh. It could be uh, an album title <clears throat> or something. The moment's past. If I fucking riff along long enough, then I won't have to talk about the actual subject. <laughs> hey, welcome to Dollar's Philosophy. I'm Harland, the germ-led advance grant. And I'm Ryan, zoodles with red sauce McKenna. <laughs> this Dollar's <laughs> Philosophy podcast. Of indeterminate duration. So many are going to become that now. <laughs> well, it's that's okay. Indeterminable duration. So what? The fuck are you talking about, man? What's your what's this stupid bullshit you're gonna talk about tonight? I'm super disappointed already. The fabrication of facts. Fake news. What? <laughs> yeah, what? I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I uh this Quote. is all new to me. Oh Jesus. <laughs> My title, The Fabrication of Facts, has the virtue not only of indicating pretty clearly what I'm going to discuss, but also of irritating those fundamentalists who know very well that facts are found, not made. That facts constitute the one and only real world, and that knowledge consists of believing the facts. These articles of faith so firmly possess most of us, they so bind and blind us that fabrication of fact has a paradoxical sound. Fabrication has become a synonym for falsehood or fiction, as contrasted with truth or fact. Of course, we must distinguish falsehood from fiction, from truth and fact, but we cannot, I am sure, do it on the ground that fiction is fabricated and fact found. Writes the philosopher who has been binned as a pragmatist, though he doesn't, in my opinion, have a comfortable category term, Nelson Goodman, in the book Ways of World Making, which is in general what we're going to talk about tonight. World making. Let's do it. Let's make some worlds. Did that quote mean anything to you? Did it stimulate any, any comments? Or are you just like, okay, now what? No, I definitely, it stimulated some uh, thoughts. Should I, should I say them now, or should I wait, or what should I do? Pick your favorite and say one. Well, I, all right, well, I, I, I only had one. <laughs> I, 
I just speak in the plural. Come on. All right. Perfect. The one, th- the one thought I had was a while back, and I, I, I'm trying to find where I start this thing, but it was a while back you and I were talking, and I remember talking about how, um, you know, I guess it had something to do with the, the discussion topic of is math invented or discovered? And I just remember mm-hmm. thinking like, well, you know, you're not like going around a bend one day and then there you see a whole bunch of like equations grazing in a field somewhere. And you're like, oh, there's force equals mass times acceleration. And look over there. It's, you know, whatever, fucking the thermodynamic principle of blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it just, it, <laughs> you know, it, I just don't, I think we, we construct these things. And um, when you when he was talking about facts and how we fabricate them or how we create them or whatever, um, it that that just that rings true to me or something. It hits home. It, what's the phrase anyway? I liked it. Once in a while, your off the cuff comments will be so apt that listeners may tend to think that we scripted this. <laughs> But, yes, okay, so you're talking about, you fucking empiricist charlatan, Mm. that you come around the corner and see things grazing in a field or whatever, or they don't count. Another quote from this chapter includes, all right, so we have the rather reproachful question, can't you see what's before you? And arrived at the illuminating answer, That depends. One thing it depends on is the answer to another question. Well, what's before me? That's the question I begin with here, and I must confess the answer to this too is, that depends. And one thing it depends on heavily is the answer to yet another question, what do you make of it? So, one of the things as I was reading this book this time, that Goodman was reminding me of, is what I want to call the ontological Wittgenstein. That he's making similar moves in metaphysics to some that Wittgenstein was making in language. That when that Wittgenstein is saying, well, meaning, what the, you know, maybe there's no such thing out there. There's a fact of the matter that there is something that something means, and our job is to discover and exchange those meanings. No, there's just the way that people use words. You come around the corner, you see people in the field making noises at each other. That's what we've got to work with. And I see Goodman's ontology as kind of similar. You've got the famous episode six beer bottle before you. (laughs) And you've got somebody saying, can't you see? Here's a beer bottle. And Goodman, frustratingly, as philosophers often sound says, well, you know, it depends. Maybe I can see what's before me, but what do you want me to say I see? A beer bottle? Well, it depends. If there is a beer bottle before me, well, I don't know. And then the, <laughs> que- the answer to that question, whether or not there is a beer bottle before me, depends on what you make of it. And then as soon as we get to that move, I think everybody follows it relatively easily up until that move, and then there's a little bit of like, what? Are you now saying that there's some kind of idealist situation happening here where if you change your thinking it changes the object and i don't think 
that Goodman is like that. I just think he's doing a kind of Wittgensteinian dissolution, a, th a therapeutic exercise of we ought not slash can't answer questions like, no, what is it really? So his way of dodging that is, or I don't know if it's a dodge, so much as I think that he thinks, and I agree, that it's a constructive, pragmatic way to deal with those kind of questions to say, let's f stop asking that question and replace it with a new question. What do you make of it? And that's where this, you know, ways of world making comes in. You make a beer bottle out of that which is before you. If someone sees more vice than virtue to the world you made, then they are free to come up with an alternative framework, theory, ontology, employ that, and then we're in this realm of testing competing hypotheses, and we move from Aristotle to Kuhn or whatever, that it all just becomes name it what you will, and then we will play off one made world against another, and for our own pragmatic reasons, make a choice as to which one we will select in order to engage in a given project set at a given time. You talk. <laughs> that was like, that was a, uh, a verbal shove if I ever had one. <laughs> Is it over a cliff or into a hair? No, it's just like, you know, shoving a pie in my arms or something. You're just like, you talk! And I'm like, ah, it's messy. <laughs> um, so you said something about vice, and, um, and I don't remember what the other word was, but... Virtue. virtue. So were you, what was that about, the vice and virtue that you were, what, dig a little deeper. That was about my inconstant quest to make every utterance a poem. Nice. And nothing more. Don't worry about it. That was just, I was being flowery. But the what I was getting at was that we can come up with any arbitrary description we want of quote-unquote our experience. And if you have two conflicting descriptions of experience, then we can play them off against each other and given a value set and a testing mechanism, we can see which one is preferable to us. So that's the vice virtue thing. It's like, which one do we prefer and why? Okay, I guess I'm going to... I'm, 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 I'm working slow tonight, apparently. But... Uh... So when somebody slams, <laughs> somebody, no one in particular, slams down a beer bottle on the table and says, this is a beer bottle, and you're conjuring, you know, Goodman, and you're like, well, what do you make of it, you know? Um, what's the response to that? One would have, well, it's glassy and shiny, and or it's been categorized in my head so long, and this is what it is, or I've seen other people say that's what it is, or what's the, you know, how do we, um, how do we unpack making it, you know, what we make of it? 
What, where does someone go from there? In a more fleshed out version of what you just did, I think. The, I mean, I guess I think you're on to it. There's many different levels at which one can answer that question because there's many different levels on which we operate. You can go all the way from the physicalism and say, well, you know, it's a beer bottle because there's atoms and then there's emergence and then the beer bottle uh, emerges because there's a boundary here and they these things coheve cohes together <laughs> better than that with the air and there's a there a boundary that's permeable by certain things and not a, whatever or you can say at another level well i went to the grocery store and i asked the proprietor to give me a beer bottle and he gave me this so this must be a beer bottle it's that which we as a society agree to label with the same noise whatever there's all kinds of different ways you can do it but as long as that's the game that we're playing, then we've shifted into the Goodman-style paradigm and we've become these sort of neo-pragmatists or whatever it's aptly called, where we don't worry about what it is. We worry about what you call it and why. And that it can become the realm of dispute or agreement. Well, here, I call it a beer bottle, and here's why, and then you tell your story, and the other person's like, cool, I like it, I get it, I agree it's a beer bottle, in that sense. Or they can say, ah, I am a radical uh, Einsteinian loaf relativist reductionist, and I don't think there are any unique physical objects, there's only the plenum, and there <laughs> are, you know, and then they can dispute that, but whatever. As long as you're in the realm of saying, we just have these two agents that are both making their own worlds, their own ontologies, their own stories, and playing them off against each other and examining their virtues and vices. What are they good for? What do they suck at? So wh where do then, and <clears throat> I don't know why this is like clanging around in my head, but where do then something like definitions fall in on this side of the coin or whatever, on, or by the time you get to this second question? Um, you know what I mean? Like if it's a, let's not focus on what it is. <clears throat> let's focus on, you know, other, you know, properties and try and have a discourse about a thing. Um, I don't know, maybe even a definition itself can be discussed in this way. But I would think that somehow, you know, when we're talking about beer bottles and toothbrushes, which are just the, you know, uh, you know, objects or whatever, material things that we assign um, to that bin, I, I guess I'm just thinking, okay, well, how would you define a toothbrush? And then do we go back and forth? Well, I wouldn't define it like that or whatever, like, is that also part of the world making or would you say it's just the first part? What is it? It's a beer bottle. Um, or I guess I'm the discombobulated or something. What is it? It's a beer bottle is one thing. And then Goodman standing there, I say, what is this? And he says, well, it depends on what you make of it, you know? And then I'm like, well, what do you make of it? And he's like, uh, you know, like, <laughs> How, where do I guess, you know, help me out. 
Ah, I'm drowning. <laughs> I'll try. I'm going to throw you something, and we'll see if it floats. Oh, shit. But he, okay. This, remember how I've talked previously about there are certain topics and domains where I want to make it clear to the audience that I am not attempting to make an exegetical point about Goodman's philosophy, but suspect that I might be roping him in, along with Wittgenstein and others, into the Harlandonian realm and imposing upon them what I think. I think he thinks this, but I don't want to be held to claiming, well, I have good reasons and I've really read it closely and I think this is what Goodman thinks. Okay. But I think that Goodman, Wittgenstein, and I are all in a similar place on definitions and that the way they function in here is as an explicit part of the world making and are most correctly tokened upon request, if necessary. If someone says, there's a beer bottle, and the other person says, well, what's the definition of that? And then you just play the kind of Platonic Socrates game of you have one annoying person questioning your definition and pointing out all the internal inconsistencies and a Glaucon who's trying to tell you, well, oh, I've thought it out closely and this is what it is, Socrates. And he says, ah, but what about this? <laughs> right. Anyway, but as long as... But the definitions are just sub-constructions of the world-making. They're a requirement if your interlocutor wants to know them, if they don't feel confident that they know, so they're like, well, what is your definition of that? Then you owe them one. But that it's part of this fictive or uh, novella activity of making a world. You need to be able to define your characters. Yeah, okay. Sounds good. That answers it for me. I'm, you've thrown me in line. I'm coming nice. back aboard. <laughs> I'm soaking wet. Anyway. Well, we've prevented temporary drowning, but there may be sharks in the water. <laughs> All right. Where do we go from here? So here's Goodman on some definition stuff. Quote, The best we can do is to specify the sort of terms, the vocabulary one is to use telling him to describe what he sees in perceptual or phenomenal rather than physical terms. The instruments to be used in fashioning the facts must be specified. Makes pointless any identification of the physical with the real and the perceptual with the apparent. So, that probably didn't make sense that fast in the thing. But what I hear him saying there is that the definitions are explicitly constructive. They're made up by us. It's not like... The physicalist takes the physical as the real. And so then, for them, a definition is a physical characterization of some type. And then we become Carnap, and we give four-dimensional time-space coordinates of everything, and now we have exhaustively defined it and we can work our math. I don't think Goodman likes that strategy. He more is saying, we don't take for granted any overarching framework and attempt to embed our descriptions within it, but rather we 
write perceptual fan fiction. We, you know, we get to say whatever we want to say. There is no canon here. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that helped. He's sinking again, folks. All right. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Okay. Well, he's saying we can we can come up with what we want. There is no, um, you know. Well, we don't have access to a view from nowhere style kind of thing. Like there's there's. Uh, like you said, he doesn't like the canonical. Um, and yeah. so it's a more freewheeling. This is another short little quote that is part of what motivated my tying Goodman to Wittgenstein for tonight's purposes. So, quote, As meanings vanish in favor of relationships among terms, so facts vanish in favor of relationships among versions so in this book in this ways of world making collection of articles he version is the short way to say world that has been made by someone you know to some description so we have these alternative versions and Wittgenstein's point is there's no meanings there's only terms and the relationships amongst them and their linguistic community that employs them and Goodman is saying, so in metaphysics, let's take away facts and we only have relationships among versions that I, and then I would add to that, that often are in competition. And that's why I kind of bring in the Kuhnian stuff, that there's different paradigms, there's different ways of describing and conceiving of what's going on around here. And then... We can, I mean, and maybe this is Feyerabend even more than Kuhn, but, and then we, do we just play those off against each other? Given our current state of play and the projects that we want to achieve, which one do we prefer and why? Are we geocentric or heliocentric? They both can be made to work, but given our value set that includes things like parsimony, then we prefer the one that doesn't have hundreds or thousands of epicycles needed to explain the astronomical data. We like the one that can do it more efficiently. That doesn't mean it's true or correct, it just means it accords with our values at this place and time. It's funny. I uh, the, the direction that I'm going in just thinking about this stuff is on the one hand, I think there's a uh, it feels to me like good men and 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 all of these probably you know philosophers that we've talked about to this point, and I, I may be sounding like I'm stating something that's obvious, but in our day and age, and I'll rope it into other stuff too, but it's not so simple, I guess. And maybe it's never been that simple. But the thing about Goodman and what he's talking about is that there's something, you know, these are earnest uh, interlocutors, right? I mean, these aren't, you know, these people are, you know, the, the idea is that you're living in a world where people are sincerely trying to understand things and that the versions come about um, in, you know, in, in an honest attempt 
to try and understand, right? But in some ways, I don't think the heliocentric, geocentric is always as explicit as to decide whether or not we want to do one thing or another, because we always have these inherent biases. So on the one hand, it seems to me like you've got you know, fake news and Russia and all that kind of crap in our world today, or you could have propaganda in previous times. Um, you know, even going all the way back to say, uh, just after the war, the roses with, uh, Henry the eighth and Henry the seventh using, um, the printing press to be able to get the message out there. If there were any kind of, uh, you know, things that were rumors going around about the royalty and stuff, they could kind of quell that to some extent by, getting whatever the messages they want out there, you know? And so in some ways, even though they aren't in earnest though, in that sense, I think also we can be incredibly biased. And though we may be coming from this sort of earnest place, we may be fooling ourselves sometimes and rejecting something, not out of the basic principle that, oh, well, parsimony, of course, but out of the idea that we just inherently... I've grown familiar, like the way data would say about friendship. Um, or, you know, we are in some other complicated human messy capacity trying to hold on to something, you know, and that we're just biased or we've just given in to a particular thread. And I can see that, I mean, maybe I'm I'm moving away from principle and talking about things in practice, but... I just still, I, I kind of was thinking, oh yeah, you know, you got this, all these different angles, but you have to, like, there has to be like a presupposing that everybody is in earnest. They are all probably biased, which probably in some ways gives us uh, these various versions. Biased even in a genuine way, not in a, my brain cells are stupid, but like, in a like I'm standing over on the right and you're standing on the left or one person was a little closer, or it was darker, and so when the person pulled something out of their pocket, you know, uh, was it a gun, a cell phone, I don't know, you know, that kind of thing. Like, it to me is just, uh, um, it's a, that, that could be a genuine, honest disagreement based on what information people actually have, and they're biased in that way. But also people can be biased because they want something to be a certain way, and then I guess in some ways it's not a whole lot different when you create fake news. You want something to be a certain way, so you're going to like propagandize something in a particular direction so that no one ever gets wind of a different version and has some kind of discourse, you know, an internal discourse, you know, within them, you know, or whatever. This is That's all that came out when I was thinking about those things. Mm-hmm. From my exposure to Goodman, I agree that he, to my knowledge, doesn't spend as much time as, for example, a Zizek or something on the psychological or socio-psychological aspects of, well, yeah, you're just taken for granted that the agents competing in your system of making different worlds and comparing them, that they are honorable and honest and fair and playing by some sort of rule set and practically there are good reasons to doubt that that's what's happening around here so sure 
this is just the traditional philosopher's move of abstracting away from what's actually going on on Earth 2019 into what we wish would be. <laughs> if so only. it in and of itself is also a bias, right? Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, maybe. Yeah. A lot of us do wish things were different. <laughs> just in general. Yeah. Um... But I guess some. I guess maybe I'm always trying to be my disease. I'm always trying to ground things, not in the truth, of course, but just ground them. You know, like put them in lockstep with a few other things and see how they operate. You know, kind of like put plug in the program and see what it does. You know, um, and when I was yeah. doing that in my head, I immediately was like, I mean, I even said it at the beginning of this when you said fabricated facts, I was like, fake news, you know, like was immediately came to my head, you know? And I was sure. like, Oh, <laughs> you know, like it's just, um, whatever. It's great that you bring that up because as a starry eyed head in the clouds, quote unquote intellectual, mm. I didn't even think of that. But now that you say it like, yeah, totally. That's like, it's this current events. Let's tie it into what's happening. This is what the listeners want to know. <laughs> well, I was, we're talking about fake news tonight. That's the title of the episode. <laughs> no, but you know what I was thinking? I mean, I tried to tie it into other things, too. Like, you know, fucking, I, I went back to the fucking, the Tudors, man. Not the Stuarts or the Plantagenets, but the Tudors. Anyway. Yeah, with a D, not a T. Yeah. Whatever. So anyway, uh... So I can see that stimulated a lot of conversation. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the conversation that I have to it is, I agree that at least so far in my presentation, if not in Goodman himself, we are ignoring that aspect and talking on a level of abstraction yeah. up from the way most human beings nowadays do it. And we're kind of ignoring those biases and just talking about, well, if people were less biased and if they were genuine honorable interlocutors trying to do their best to construct optimal worlds if we were gods or at least angels episode i have no idea i can't do this game anymore <laughs> we have too many episodes i can't refer back to it but we did the gods and angels and chimps thing at we some sure point. did i don't remember i mean i remember it but i don't remember when so just uh, to hit on this again from the text for those of you who care about that shit mm. when goodman talks about the geocentric heliocentric example i brought it up because he mm. brings it up one of the things he wrote is if we say that the geocentric and heliocentric systems are different versions of quote-unquote the same facts we must ask not what you can do for your country. No. <laughs> we must ask not what these facts are, but rather how such phrases as versions of the same facts or descriptions of the same world are to be understood. And, you know, this again, to me, evokes Wittgenstein Nietzsche types that we just want to go up a level. Don't just think, okay, fine. it's easy to think about there's a world out there. We don't know what it is. We have different possible descriptions. Let's figure out which one best reflects reality. 
I think that's kind of the standard model nowadays in 2019 Western scientific philosophy. Mm-hmm. Right? Wrong? Yeah. Yes. I said, uh, God, okay. how many times do you need me to agree with you? <laughs> well, if you're agreeing, I want to dwell on this for a minute. <laughs> Make it clear. If you disagree with me, let's put that under mm-hmm. the rug for now. No. Uh-huh. Yes. But there's another question. There's another way to look at it. Don't just assume there is a reality and science's job is to approximate it and figure out which we prefer. You know. But this question is, what the hell do you mean by different versions of the same facts or the same world? Step back. What does that even mean? We have two different versions of the same reality. What do you mean same reality? I get the different versions part, but can you even define what this putative reality is supposed to be? This is a language game that we've got stuck in, and people seem to think it makes sense. But I I feel Goodman asking us to, you know, and this is what philosophers are for, right? <laughs> well, hang on a minute, scientists. <laughs> I know you're out there doing your thing, and you make a lot of cell phones and... We go to the moon and blah, blah, blah. All engineers. Who cares? But wait a minute on that. Like, what do you mean the same reality? What is this reality that we supposedly have different versions about? What if there are only versions? Is is that period? Question mark. That's right. Sorry. (laughs) Ah, editing. Um... Well, so let me walk myself through this Uh, fact. The sun rises and sets. Uh, I don't know what the sun is, whatever. But let's just say that's a fact. He talks about this too. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah. So you'd have that. And then is he then trying to say the versions are heliocentric orbit versus a geocentric orbit? Of that fact? Are they pointing to another chunk? You know what I mean? Like, is it... There's a phrase that the computer programmers use that I find very useful. So I'm going to... You know how you can't explain a joke and it won't work? You can't explain these kind of phrases and they won't work either, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's a meme I think more people need. Okay. And the phrase is... You can't grep dead trees. Okay. And grepping is a neologism that means general, regular expressions. And regular expressions is like the way that you specify in code. Like you put, basically you put quotes around it and then you spell out the characters in Unicode or whatever. And you say, all right, go look at this document and pull out all the examples of this thing. Mm -hmm. So it's basically like search. And then Dead Trees is a book. And I'm a paper guy because I'm fucking old. And I only have Goodman in paper form. And right now, I wish I could search for this because he, I recall, precisely just uses the example of the sun rising and the earth. But I'm like, I can't grip these dead trees. God damn it. That's awesome. Edit that out. I wish I hadn't said No, that. no, it's totally no. It's the, the flowery language is happening in my head. It's it's too late. 
You shouldn't have, because now I'm stuck. I'm like, <laughs> grabbing dead trees. We're going to have to figure out a way to play with that Damn one. Damn you, Evan Williams. Evan Williams. <laughs> there's another one. Damn you, Evan Williams would be another great title. All right, go. All right, just fucking, I'm going to forget looking up the quote. What are you trying to say? Well, I was just trying to say, like, I'm. the question I had was, say, is the heliocentric and geocentric orbits as I don't know, explanations, they're trying to point or explain the fact the sun rises and sets? Is that the idea? And um, is that the Western thought style that you're talking about, where, like, somehow there's this one chunk? Like, how are these things arranged in relation to each other? And by things, I mean uh, the quote-unquote fact that the sun rises and sets, and then that there are two versions somehow of this fact that are based on something we'd call a heliocentric orbit with all the stuff that goes along with that, and then something we'd call the geocentric orbit with all the stuff that comes along with that. Do you prefer trains or all-terrain vehicles? Mm, I guess trains. All right, because I'm. We're not going to do the. <laughs> we're we're going off the rails. <laughs> I know that we shouldn't, but I'm in sufficiently prepared, so I'm going to have to off-road in order to answer that question in real time. Do it, because these are pseudo live, you know. Recorded live. <laughs> I'm going to go back to Herman Capellan and Keith Frankish and the whole mind talk right now to, an- to try to answer what you were talking okay. about. The sun rises and sets is the question. And now, so those are the facts that we need to come up with different versions to explain. So the facts are the perceptual facts of the human being standing on the mountaintop and viewing the bright orb appearing out of the horizon. You know, so those are the, the facts that need to be explained. What the perceptions are, the descriptions. Mm-hmm. So my version of the Goodman-esque answer to that question is to go to this kind of meta mind level to you know the, the Dennett Hofstadter Frankish move and just say well maybe we need to question the the perceptual data itself and say well, what do you mean there's an orb emerging out of a horizon why do we even have to accept that uh huh uh we need to do these more often. I'm out of you're practice. You're out of practice. So you're saying... Um, I guess what I'm trying to do is some version of what he's... <laughs> of the move he's making when he says we need to consider what such phrases as versions of the same facts means. So I get it that the two that... Uh, whoever, Kepler and Brahe on the mountaintop looking at the stars quote-unquote, see the same thing. That's the Goodman move, is to question, well, do they even see the same thing? What the hell does that mean? Sure. I, I mean, I'm with you on that. And then we do the whole theory-laden thing. Sure. And the, you know, well, they're probably... 
have some sort of astronomical paradigm already and that affects their perceptions. Okay, what? No, I was just saying I agree with everything up to that. I'm, I'm with you on this point up to this point. Yeah. So I think what it is is that I'm mistaken in that um, these are two lines that maybe meet at a point or intersect or whatever and they aren't two lines pointing at a line is basically what I'm or whatever it is, you know? Um Yeah, they're not there's two they're two lines and they've got two line segments, two rays, and they're pointing. But the Goodman movies is question I think well, are they both pointing at something? Or are they just pointing? Right. Maybe they're pointing at each other. Maybe it's just one of those little loops that you see as you're waiting for Google to load. They're just two lines pointing at each other or something. Uh Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, what is it? What is it called? Shit. We're so good at this. Um, You know, when the, who wants to be a millionaire when you get to call somebody? You know what I mean? Yeah, phone a friend. Or phone a friend or whatever. You know, you've got other options too. What are the other ones? Do you remember? 50-50. You can cut it down by half. You can ask the audience. I can't do that. <laughs> and uh, there's one more. I think there was four, right? Four lifelines? Yeah, they're the, the lifelines. I'm just, I'm going to. Lifelines. I'm going to go to a lifeline, I think. And say reveal my hand a little bit here. I think I'm recalling Goodman is the <clears throat> world model word guy, right? No. Shit. That's Ronald Gilles. Ah, fuck me. <laughs> oh, well, never mind then. I was going to ask about how that worked. This part can be edited out. Edit it out! <laughs> um, well, then never mind. Shit. One of the Goodman bumper stickers, just so you can, you know, quickly move past that. <laughs> Never mind, mind. Essence is not essential, and matter doesn't matter. <laughs> we do better to focus on versions rather than worlds. Oh. He's a relatively artful guy. He really likes alliteration and sibilance and stuff. Oh, yeah, he does. That's he good. I like that a lot. Writes, That's fun. Yeah. We start on any occasion with some old version or world that we have on hand and that we are stuck with until we have the determination and skill to make a new one. Some of the felt stubbornness of facts is the grip of habit. Our firm foundation is indeed stolid. World making begins with one version and ends with another. And I really like all of that. You know... As long as you're willing, and all you have to do, I think, to sub-argue for that premise is play the quick, cheap game of saying, well, in the old days, people thought the earth was flat, and for a good reason. We no longer think that. So that establishes the pessimistic meta-induction argument that we're probably wrong now, too. We know of a damn large number of examples from the past where 
reasonable people have been what we now consider to be incorrect. We're highly likely to be incorrect about at least something now. We're stuck somewhere. We have this felt stubbornness, and it's nothing more than a habit. It's what we learned in school. It's what they tell us, and it just gets in there. The goddamn memes have taken the leash. Oh, yeah. Fucking let the memes be the leaders. Jesus. They're wagging the dog. And we just need to find a way out of that paradigm into, no, it's more active and agentive, and we get to do this. Like, fuck truth. I hope that Goodman would be willing to join Nietzsche in saying that. It's about, we've got one version, we've got that we were taught, a received view, then we've got possible progressions upon it. Let's consider the progressions, pay them off, play them off against the old, keep the good stuff that we like, get rid of, you know, jettison the detritus, and move forward. And let's make the whole thing epistemically progressive. <laughs> the whole night I'm just this is like ah. fucking ch- we're going to church I feel like a preacher tonight <laughs> oh that is so hilarious yeah oh my god can you feel a spirit mm. well I mean uh, yeah I do <laughs> how do I, I, I Never sure exactly where to begin. Um, <laughs> I guess my question is, well, what does that look like? You know, uh, what does it look like when, like, I, for instance, now it sounds like the story is <clears throat> the version. Is that we are stuck always in this pattern of of habituation to a particular paradigm, whatever you want to call it, and it becomes incredibly difficult to move on to another uh, version um, until probably funerals and things like that happen, but also we amass enough information to support a new one, you know, that we can all then say, oh, okay, that's what it is. It's oxygen, not phlogiston, or, you know, it's a vacuum of space, not ether, or it's, uh, you know, it's a spherical earth. Not... Mean molecular kinetic energy, not caloric fluid. Right, yeah, not, not a flat earth. By the way, I want to take this as an opportunity to say that one of my favorite movies of late was Beyond, uh, Behind the Curve. On Netflix, I know I'm like plugging Netflix. <laughs> Whatever, I really like that movie. It's about flat earthers. We accept checks. <laughs> Send them to Ryan McKenna, P.O. Box. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, um, but uh, when we make that move where we somehow drop the habituation, then what is it? Is it just white noise? Like, do the versions just flit in and out and just go every which way, or how? Do, or, or is it? Am I hearing you saying, "Well, no, we just got to be more willing to to move on when enough information has accumulated, rather than really dig our heels in until we just 
have to wait for people to die. People don't have to die in order for new ideas to give to get life. Is that uh, the idea? Sort of. Say no. No, they don't have to. But th- that's a tendency that has seemed to be exhibited amongst many human beings because people seem stuck in their ideas. There's not enough Robert Anton Wilsons and there's too many Jeff Sessionses, whatever. Um, <laughs> but if we were all just these model agnostics that said, I don't know what the fuck is happening, but I do know what I would like to do next and I, as an active participant in whatever's going on around here have the ability because of language which is really special and you should realize that (laughs) to to consider to use the symbolic manipulation to assist my considerations as to behavioral modification and then I'm going to do I'm going to make my choices informed by whatever models I can become aware of through the studious activities I engage in before I run out of time. Sometimes we don't have very much time because the bus is coming and it's going to hit us. Sometimes we have a lot of time because we're only 27 and we're trying to fix aging. And we've got some time, whatever it is. (laughs) What about when... um, What about the idea that some things work that that couldn't have been achieved before with a different version. Like how often do the versions all, would you say, or would you think or whatever, how often do the versions all essentially achieve our goals? And what do we then say about the versions that don't, you know, what if some versions, what about, what if it turns out that like, I think this is what Western science and thought would be today is that we learn things and we kind of we can explain with the old with the new models what the old models were essentially trying to say but we can also do other things like so we can send you know vehicles in orbit around planets and we can do lots of kind of stuff if things were truly flat or whatever then then um we might not be able to because, you know, the way that uh, only understanding things with gravity or whatever and relativity and stuff like that, can we really achieve this type of uh, dream of space flight or whatever it is? Uh, or maybe in some, to some extent, maybe there's some um, aspects of medicine that really do work and beat placebo Gosh, nearly every single time, you know, like, and in the past we had other things, we had people like eat mercury or whatever the fuck it was. And, you know, but we, we can, we can talk about the systems that were being affected through our new versions that can also explain what was happening in the old versions. Uh, You know, like there's things like that, that seem to sometimes happen, you know, like with, what does that mean then to the idea? I mean, is it a egalitarian set of versions or do we just start there and then we kind of start to decide, oh, we start whittling away in sort of a selectionist capitalist kind of like, you know, the what marketplace of ideas style and then the old versions go away 
or can they can we go back to the old versions and just be like yeah flat earth eating mercury whatever you know to solve our ailments like what what is happening in that respect like is it all you know is it this flat hierarchy of ideas of versions or is there is one version um getting us closer to what we want than others i don't know i guess I kind of like that accidental phrase. I assume it was an accident that you just made of a flat hierarchy. That's that's kind of cute. Oh. That sounds like it could be an M.C. Escher painting or something. Flat hierarchy. I, I think flat hierarchy is a thing. I don't think I invented it. <laughs> yeah. Really? It sounds oxymoronic a little bit. Yeah. Anyway. It is. Is what you were... Let me just do a quick confirmatory question. Are you saying something like, consider the case where two different versions can both achieve a successful result on project A, but then version B, or I mean, version two is really good at project B and version one sucks at it. Yeah. You know, but they can both do the first thing. So to me, that's bringing, that's kind of hearkening back to what you were referencing, concentrating on earlier with the socio-psychological aspects and I just want to chalk that up to being the orientation difference between conservatism and progressivism that what the person who likes their who likes version one they're like well we should just stick with version one because it can do project a and project a is all we ought to do project b is a sin don't even try to do <laughs> that shit but then the other people are like, yeah, but wait, we have this new idea, and it can do your old traditional stuff just as well, but we can also do all these new exciting things. But the conservative person, psychologically, not necessarily politically, mm -hmm. but says, you should not care about those other projects, because the projects I care about are the only projects that matter. And if you care about other projects, you're going to hell. It's interesting, because... I would think that with the conservatism, that would be letting the memes be the leaders. Because then the memes would say, no, I want to stick around, make more of myself. Yeah. And I don't want to change. <clears throat> and that the progressives would not be like that. The progressives would be, it would be, uh, too much mutation or something like that for the thing to really be able to remain itself for very long. And then what would it be? It wouldn't be itself or whatever. Uh, but we don't, we don't really do that because then if it's like, let the memes be the leaders. And then I think of Kevin Kelly's what technology wants. Technology is one of those things that's definitely been very cumulative. And I would think whatever technology is that it, if it wants something, then it would want energy or information or power, whatever. Um, and it might more or less augment or modify itself or be modified by us or whatever however you want to describe it, depending on what you're talking Use about. us to modify itself. Yeah, whatever. Um, make us the technology for its own stuff. But... But then that's going to be a cumulative thing, and that might be somewhat to an extent. Like, is it 
like there's two things here. Maybe these are versions that are playing right into your hands or something. But like on the one hand, you've got conservatism that says, no, no, we don't want to change. We got everything we need and fuck plan B or whatever, not actual plan B. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> and then, um, um, and then the, uh, what am I trying to fucking say? Uh, but then the other one might be like, well, in order to maintain myself, I'm, we must change, you know, in order to, because the, nothing ever stays the same. Right. You know, everything's always, what you know, everything's always in some kind of, you know, however your perspective is, you could use the word change and say, things are always changing, you know, uh, yeah. Anyway, you were wanting to jump in, so feel free. Oh, I was just agreeing with you that I think that makes perfect sense to say that given the plausible premise that quote-unquote things are always changing, <laughs> if your project is remain the same, then you ought to value change because in order to keep that which you care about the same, you're going to have to change because your environment is changing. Right. So that if you stayed the same and the environment changed, then it wouldn't be the same anymore. So that, cha paradoxically, change is required for stasis. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> paradoxically. Yeah. yeah, which is bizarre. But still, then that means... Uh, any, anyone who wants to stay the same and not change you know, is effectively like dead in a way, you know, like, or at least the version that they're going after. So what changed? And I don't know the history of this. So I, I mean, maybe Goodman talks about it. Probably not. Cause I don't know how it would serve his purposes, but what changed other than just, what was the impetus? I guess is what I'm trying to say for Copernicus, you know, to, was he just having fun and learning things <laughs> or was there a reason, you know, like there was a, you know, yeah. I mean, there, there sometimes there are stories about the impetus as to why something came about or whatever. Um, but then, you know, and that there was some sort of, I don't know, zeitgeist or whatever spirit of the times that was, you know, it was an opportunity that ended up, you know, f creating a, a, a something else. This is very Coonian, I guess. You're after one thing, and you end up creating this other thing, and you're like, oh, shit, you know, like... Um, and that becomes the anomaly, which then, upon further, I don't know, curiosity or something, it, it you end up accumulating more information, which starts to make the old paradigm looks look less and less likely as an explanation for or as a model of what's going on in the world. Okay. What part of your last <laughs> turn evoked in my mind was the lyrics to a song that I like that just say, wait, what? Safe is dead. <laughs> yeah. The only way to be, you know, to conserve is to... The ultimate conservation is just you know on life it's you don't participate you're not because everything else is transitory and temporary and 
and alternate. And so if you don't play that game, if you just want to stay safe, you better be fucking dead. Yeah. I like that. Obviously. Wow, Goodman. You've uh, evoked quite a bit of uh, shit out of the Doddlers. All right, that sounds like an attempt to wrap it up, and I'm not going to let you yet, because <laughs> I know there would be a riot amongst the audience if there were an episode with a picture of Nelson Goodman on the cover, which I bet there wow. will be, that doesn't talk about Gru, right? Because that's his major oh, meme. He's the Gru guy. Yeah, he's the Gru guy. And this is, it's related, I think. And we'll see if we can tie it all together, but... So the meme that Nelson Goodman made that was the most successful as far as replication and survival and longevity is to talk about what has become labeled the new problem of induction involving what Goodman called pathological predicates of which his primary example was the Label GRU, G-R-U-E. What the fuck is that? And he talked about... All right, you Ryan McKenna empiricists who really like going out and looking in the field and seeing what you can find and giving it some labels that work for your projects. One of the things that some of you do is you dig up gemstones in your minds and some of those are emeralds and what you want to maybe say about them is include among other things emeralds are green yeah oh really let's step back and take a look at that one and everyone says facepalm philosophers suck shut up yep shut up you <laughs> stupid fox <laughs> So Goodman is saying, all right, I'm going to be an annoying Socratic type and say, there's no way to tell the difference empirically, inductively, between attributing the predicate green to something or attributing the predicate grew to the very same thing. Green means uh, emits, reflects light wavelength x under viewing under illumination conditions y whatever is that fair enough sure. i don't know whatever green means but what gru means is doing that same thing up until august 4th 2019 is that when this comes out august 3rd something <laughs> the date of this podcast's publication 2019 and blue subsequently and the the putative problem involved here is the inductive one that literally all your evidence all your scientific evidence that something is green is by definition evidence that it is also grew because your evidence is accumulated in time and you it's all been in the past and whatever and i'm saying that well if it's grew 
you would have seen the very same thing you saw in the field as you rounded the mountain, Clementine, before, but you haven't seen it subsequent to August 4th, 2019, when it will appear blue to you. And I realize, and that's why he calls it pathological. Like, there are, we don't have a value set that would take that sort of attribution seriously. We're like, well, I guess if you annoying fucking philosophers <laughs> want to make it up, you're right. I can't prove that this emerald isn't Gru. There's no scientific way to prove that. But I don't need to prove it. And then we go on to this meta level of talking about values and model construction and why we prefer certain models to others, blah, blah, blah. What do you, do you have any, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Did I get enough of it out or do you have questions like about this new, this prob, supposed problem of induction? And Well, my thinking was um, specifically around the switchover. Now, is there a gap of time that it's grew that you're saying? I mean, if I was listening correctly, there's like a 24-hour period or something. And then the day after that, it's going to be, I see it as, you know, blue or whatever. It is momentary. We'll pretend we're in a universe with discrete time. And at time t, it's green. And at time t plus one, it's blue. And there's no intermediary. It just flips. Oh, okay. So you can say midnight or what, you know, whatever you want to add. But it's a precise time. And, and, and But there is a precise point in time when it's grew? It's always grew. Okay. Because the definition of grew is green before time T and blue after gotcha. time T. Yes, okay. That's the whole the, thing is grew. But that your empirical evidence by supposedly if this if this move works by definition cannot distinguish empirical science cannot distinguish green things from grew things. Cuz you can only look at it before at time t minus x minus n what you can't get you know you won't know until it's already flipped can empirical science distinguish between grew things and blue things no okay, so i can distinguish between green and blue but i can't distinguish between green and grew and grew and blue no. I think you can't distinguish between any of those, like permute it any way you want, and you can't do any of I it. I can't distinguish between green and blue. Well, all right. May, I guess you can. Maybe you're right. Maybe the way you said it is right. So if, if that was the case, and then we took the whole, like, it's green, and then it turns blue, and that whole thing is grew... I would think, well, okay, fine. Then Gru has these two properties. It starts off with one and then it changes to another, kind of like a butterfly is, you know, a caterpillar beforehand. Um, and maybe, uh, you know, to us, you know, we, we would say like the phases of a, you know, the life of a life 
you know, of an organism, maybe it's a specific thing we call a species of some sort or whatever. Um, and it's got the Latin or I mean the um Linnaean name or whatever. Uh you know, it it seems to me like, okay, well, then that, you know, it's still we're gonna say somehow the duration from egg sack, you know, with the gametes to the death of this butterfly is just this, you know, it belongs to this species or whatever. And these emeralds or gemstones or whatever, which switch from emerald to something else is we're going to give it this actual name grew, but we're going to break it down to these chunks. One we'll call emerald or green or whatever. And the other one we'll call blue or sapphire or whatever. Are sapphires blue? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think so. Yeah. I was never really into mineralogy. I mean, it was well, fine. they're bleen, maybe. Oh, they're either blue yes. or bleen. <laughs> nice. But um, anyway, you know that kind of thing. And so you could say, oh, okay, we we have the we have this caterpillar stage and this butterfly stage to this one thing. We have this emerald stage and this sapphire stage to this one thing we call a, a gru stone. I. Don't think that's the point. <laughs> I, I think the point is, it's still an emerald. The question is, is are are emeralds green or are they grew? It's not like it becomes a sapphire once it changes color. Oh, oh that's fine. I, 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 I get it. Um. So yeah. Okay. Um. It's funny. We're kind of playing outside the bounds and I'm trying to decide whether to tell the sciencey part of me to just shut up or <laughs> <laughs> no that's why you're here that's the whole gimmick of this fucking show right. we need the scientists to rein in these ridiculous absurd claims by the philosophers. well if we were to say okay we're going to agree that the way that we identify color with our eyes and our brains and stuff uh, you know, our visual um, centers in our brain, um, that, you know, the, it does come down to wavelengths, plus we have our tools and techniques to be able to figure out wavelengths and put our words on things and all that kind of stuff. But, it, you know, the the model that the scientists have some kind of consensus around, at least, the mineralogists, let's say, or, you know, physicists as well, just the physics of the situation is that, you know, the configuration of the of the, the molecules, say in particular, if we're talking about an emerald or a sapphire, we're talking about the crystal lattices that make up these particular minerals are what ultimately have a role to play in the color of wavelength that is emitted once it absorbs the white light or whatever that's hitting it. Um, and so in order to then change color, it would it would be a very fascinating thing if it didn't change its makeup you know to then if it did make a change if the emeralds molecular structures you know didn't change but the color changed then we'd be like breaking physics i think but if they do change then I, you might want to say okay well we might want to categorize if the molecular structures are changing and that's what's making it turn blue you might want to then categorize it as something else and that's where i was thinking well but if it's still a derived state from another like a metamorphic rock is maybe derived or minerals that are metamorphic are derived from minerals that were just sedimentary 
minerals or something like that, or they could have been volcanic. Um, you know, then we might want to say, well, it's just the, the changes over time in this thing, you know, um, and we might want to give the whole thing a name, like some kind of speci specific species lineage of butterfly. And it has this one phase where it's a caterpillar and another phase where it's a butterfly. And it has this, this transition that occurs, but the way that it's structured is different and that's why it looks different. And so then it, it's always going to be, we're going to say this one thing, a member of this particular population of whatever, but it's still just, you know, like I could accept grew in that sense. Like, even though I can't in a way describe it discreetly with just the green properties or whatever, the properties of the emerald or, you know, the properties of the caterpillar, I can't explain the whole lineage. I can only just explain for the most part, this caterpillar. But I then turn around and say, well, but then I'm going to talk about this sort of the life cycle of this thing. And that will kind of then be at this higher level. So I'm now joining the two types, the transitions here, or, or the transition together, and it just becomes one thing. And then it becomes a Gru stone to me or whatever. I don't know. I mean, that was just what I was thinking offhand. When I hear you say that, what I want to say back is we all agree that science is capable of accommodating phase shifts. That's you know, like it's it's used to that, it's seen other ones, totally cool. And if we did empirically find a grew thing, science would be comfortable. That wouldn't break the system. Right. right, right. If we had a certain chemical composition gemstone that appeared, that we chose to label green before a date and then became blue after a date, science wouldn't lose its shit. It would be like, oh, cool. We know what this is like. It's like a butterfly. And let's figure out, like, the, the chain. We know how to deal with this. But that, I don't think, I, I mean, I feel like that's missing. The uh, yeah, point. I imagine it probably is. <laughs> I couldn't have tonight like broken grew. I know it. <laughs> yeah. Cuz it's I did it. This I think it's we're in this domain of counterfactuals that scientists don't really like or care about. They're like, "No, I'm interested in the facts. Don't talk about counterfactuals." <laughs> but Goodman is saying, "But no, wait. What if it were the case not that you did discover empirically a gemstone that switched colors?" It was one color on Tuesdays and Thursdays and another color on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Science would be fine with that. I'm just saying, what about the one that you've only looked at on Tuesdays? What if it's a different color on Wednesdays? And the scientists are like, well, fuck it, I don't care. I have, like, that isn't relevant to me. But the philosopher then says, well, it's, maybe you should care. Like, what if it's different? You don't know. But what's the point of this? <laughs> well, the way it relates back, I think, to the to that which we talked about in the first half hour is that these are alternative ways of world making and that there is scientifically 
it's a, a typical case of the philosopher just cheating. And they're saying, scientists, we can always come up with some random, absurd story where you guys didn't slash couldn't empirically test it and then say, yeah, but what if... <laughs> and there's no way for the scientists to resolve it other than to join Robert Antoine Wilson and Harland Safe as Dead Grant <laughs> in model agnosticism and say, we agree, fine. We only are operating in this realm of maybes. We don't care about matching our models to some putative reality. That's not the game we're playing. We are not truth seekers. This whole thing is just designed to kick us out of truth seeker mode. Interesting. <laughs> because, like, I think... it's. I don't know. I mean, I obviously don't know enough. So I'm just kind of flailing a little. But on the one hand, this guy has been labeled a pragmatist, whether or not you in particular or... Nelson Goodman himself would believe that they, he was a pragmatist or that it was a good binning of who he is or label. But then when I when we have this conversation about Gru, I ask what the utility is, I guess. And I'm like, but, you know, I guess I'm not trying to say everything has to be a utilitarian type thing. But... Uh, it's just bizarre. It, it, it's it's tough because I'm like, well, I don't know, because it makes me think of other things that are current events style, um, you know, like when it comes to you know uh, gender fluidity, right? On the one hand, I don't have, you know, like any problems with anything like that, you know, um, and I wouldn't necessarily say that I have a problem. If people then say, um, you know, that, that, you know, biology is, you know, like, you know, like, you know, that, like, for instance, like, I don't know if people are necessarily claiming this. I kind of feel like some people are. I don't really follow it deeply, but maybe to the extent that people would say that, you know, uh, you know, uh, biological sex is not real or relevant or what something along those lines. And I know it's the kind of thing where Joe Rogan gets all mad and that kind of stuff. And everybody's, you know, one of the big key things is they say, uh, you know, you have a, a, a man who, um, uh, transitions into becoming a woman and then goes and competes in women's sporting events or whatever and you know in wrestling like crushes every woman and joe rogan's all up in arms about how like because he's a man or whatever you know um but whenever this type of topic comes up i just think well i thought and maybe this is just me being a conservative dandy and i need to you know safe is dead right um but i thought that you know, biological systems as we understand them today, and that we, all of us, as far as I can tell, are still biological organisms and made up of many systems, um, that, you know, survival and reproduction is just part of it. 
you know, and that sex is just one way to reproduce, you know, but that to escape it somehow outside of not having the organs to do it or to um, have, you know, uh, abstaining, you know, some kind of behavioral thing. You know, when it comes to this idea of male and female, I mean, obviously those are just labels we put on things to describe what's happening. But the idea is that you're trying to, you know, mix up your genes. And one of the hypotheses out there is that it's to evade viruses and things like that. You know, like, um, and this would be the progression uh, that... You know, in order to remain the same, you know, in fun in function, you got to change your structures, you know, in the way you go about doing things. But I don't think humans are going to be capable with our cultural, you know, memetics and everything to just change our biology right off the bat just because we say we want to. And to me, Gru is, I guess my response is sort of similar to that is kind of saying like, well, there is all this stuff I can work with now that you've talked about it. And the response back is like almost, it almost seems like it's saying that, well, that's just a version. That's just a, you know, and I wouldn't say that I disagree, but I don't see where just accepting grew at face value just because is something that I'm going to want to, that's not a really great argument if I, and I'm probably misunderstanding, but that's what it seems like. And then now it just, you know, it's like, well, you're the scientist and you need everything to be And I'm like, Oh fucking Christ. You know, like I tried to work with it and now like, do you understand where I'm coming, kind of coming from or am I just, yeah. Momentarily, I thought I did, and now I am beginning to doubt that original event. Well, give it out anyway, and then we'll see if you are just losing faith or <laughs> losing confidence. But it's fine. Let's see. You want me to say something now? Yeah, what was your evaluation initially? To relate... What I take to be Goodman's point to gender claims, the various gender options are predicates. You could say, this emerald is green, or you could say, this human is male. Is that a gender, or is that a sex, whatever. Well... Whatever the proper term for a gender is. Okay. You you could you could say male for gender. That's totally like you know not even talk about sex. It's fine. We don't talk about sex here. Family talk show. Talk about sex, baby. <laughs> Let's talk about sex, baby. <laughs> We'd maybe have some listeners if we did that. Well, Let's talk about sex next time. Next time, and then we'll uh, you know you know send you to Christopher Ryan. Anyway, I take to be Goodman's problem of induction point. One is never epistemically justified in claiming this emerald is green because evidentially anything that is attributed the predicate green could be legitimately attributed the predicate grew. 
Likewise, anyone who says, I'm a male, could be a fail. <laughs> a female, but whatever. <laughs> F-A-L-E. A female, whatever. Like, well, yeah, I was male up until this date, and then I flipped to being a female on this other date. Whatever. Like, for Goodman, emeralds are trans colorals. Whatever. Like, maybe they, maybe they flip. Maybe they're green, and then they become blue. I was a man, now I'm a woman. Whatever. Like, but no one ever knows. Or maybe you're both. Or maybe you're this third type that we don't have a term for yet that is one that flips on your 16th birthday. But whatever it is, don't take those attributions so seriously. All you're doing is world-making. You're attributing a predicate to something, but there's no way to epistemically justify the accuracy of your attribution. It might be this, or it might be something else. So let's attempt to to use a Douglas Hofstadter term, jutes. Let's jump out of the system and stop playing this absolutist identitarian predication game. I don't know if that And then play what instead and then I'll have more to say. Well, you know, my paradigm case being Robert Anton Wilson episode whatever. Uh, just be willing to not take it so seriously and just say, yeah, whatever, I don't know, I feel like a dude today. And just live and make your decisions and make your choices, And uh, but be agnostic about it. Don't intensely and deeply identify as, I am green. And then all of a sudden, if you wake up the next morning and feel blue, lose your shit. Because you're neither green nor blue, nor nobody knows. You, it is whatever it is. Deal with it as it comes. Here's a momentary event. Here's the choices I will make in response to my inputs. And here's the outputs that come. And try to... And, you know, this is all wrapping together. And now I feel like I'm being Korzybski again or whatever. But just don't obsess over identities. Well, it's funny. I I don't deny identity obsession and all that kind of stuff. I don't deny anything, but um, <laughs> I I do feel like it's not a very fair treatment of say science if science tries to join in the conversation and then can't help but always feel like it's being some kind of identitarian type of paradigm user. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, science certainly has had its fair share of changes, and we've been talking about it all night, and, well, all this podcast, not just this episode. But um, at the same time, I almost, it sometimes sounds to me like they're different projects entirely like like a front end and a back end you know like um and on the one hand when i'm when i'm thinking about things you know scientifically i'm in the back end 
and I'm, you know, working things out. I'm seeing what the cogs can fit and all that kind of stuff. You know, maybe Goodman would be like, hey, you're world, world making, you know, or whatever. But I'm still in the guts of it and trying to see what can work and what doesn't work and how things hang together. And then I come out into the front end and I'm like, hey, I, you made this little gadget. It does this whirl thing. If you hit the thing and it blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, immediately I've totally stumbled into this arena where everybody's just, it's only like language and words. And no, nobody's really caring about things. They're just walking around and, you know, arguing with each other about versions and stuff. And I'm like coming out saying things and your guys are like, what? How dare you, sir? You know, like it's that kind of feeling that I'm like, okay, so uh, these are the words I know, you know, and uh, I was fooling around with some stuff and I came out here and everybody's all aghast because I didn't use the right words or the, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of how it seems to me. Like these are separate engagements. And from the scientific perspective, it's like, okay, now, now I have to like start this second shift and I just kicked, you know, just busted my ass trying to make anything work and it fail, fail, fail all over the place. And I finally was able to get things to work. And, you know, and, and I was, there was a lot of surprises along the way and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, I come out here and it's like, all it is is people writing and saying words and talking about words. And it's just like, holy Christ, what, like, it seems like a separate, not separate, but like scientists spend a lot of time not in that arena. And so that's the the difference. So that when they do engage, they're like, hey, what about this and that? There's these other things that aren't even related to what I, we were talking, you know, like what I study, but it's kind of cool because I think they're sort of related and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you know, like just be flippant about versions. It's like, well, okay, you know, but do you, do you like butterflies? Like, do you even like what <laughs> you know it's that kind of thing like do you guys should we just throw away the reproduction survival asexual clonal versus sexual clone you know like what should we do like should we just throw it away and just what, what do we want to do next guys you know like that's kind of how i feel like it's just all right fine we'll just not you know let's just dilly dally and stuff cuz i do think to some extent it's achieved a lot of cool stuff but I, I don't know, you know, it's this thing that I, I sometimes wonder if we get going on something and then we get in so deep that we don't remember how it began, you know? Um, spiritualists are always doing that. They're always like, yes, the people and the gods, they were together. And then after a while, the people abandoned the gods and they started doing their own thing. And it got so, so long, they forgot about the gods entirely. And they're like, what gods? But it's like how I sometimes think we got here at some point and which is fine, but I do think it's like, I don't want to forget about the other things. They still work and are still super uh, great. You know, I mean, everybody's got their phones and they're pissed off at each other about words and it's like, but the phones, like, should we just throw the phones away? Like that's sometimes how it feels. Like, it's just like, okay. You know, like, so what are we doing next then, guys? Anyway, I've repeated myself enough.
in a sense, what I hear you saying is that the scientist is a better quote-unquote pragmatist than any supposedly pragmatist philosopher. <laughs> I, c- continue. I, I don't know. You have to yeah continue so that I can... Well, what we care about is project accomplishment and look at all of these cool things that we have afforded or effectuated. Even you philosophers talk on your cell phones all day. Cell phones exist because of quote-unquote science, not because of philosophy, and everybody uses it. There are these projects like long-distance, efficient, effective, real-time communication that everybody, most of us, care about, whether you're a scientist or a philosopher or whatever the fuck you are. And that human endeavor which effectuates technological success is science, not philosophy. So go ahead, philosophers, sit in your armchairs and make your arguments about whatever you want. The ones who are getting shit done are scientists. And everybody appreciates our success and our progress. And your claims to success and progress, if you make them at all, are much more dubious and less socially agreeable and clearly successful in philosophy than they are in science. I don't know if that's what you were saying. I mean, I agree with all of that. (laughs) Well, I mean, to an extent I was, but I was a bit exasperated in that if, you know, like, what, you know, like, it's an odd thing because it's like a relationship where everybody wants to be acknowledged. <laughs> you know, everybody's just like, well, what about me? You know, like, and it's maybe like a drug or whatever. And so you just want more of it or something. And so, um, but I would say that like from a scientific perspective, walking into this arena of more, uh, you know, textual analysis um, that I definitely want to align that with any kind of scientific projects because I would think that that would only strengthen them because then you'd have, you know, if, I, if I'm being fair and breaking it into two cultures or whatever you want to call it, <clears throat> um, I would think that that would make it even better. And I don't think, <clears throat> well, I don't know. I Maybe I do. I'm falling easily or lazily into this idea that somehow science can explain the humanities, like some of these people think. I, I don't know. I don't want to be committed to any one of these things, but I definitely want to know what's contributing what to the events that are unfolding or have unfolded or might unfold or you know what i mean like it's and um in order to i i identify those things then i would be able to act accordingly and um you know 
be productive and efficient and all those kinds of things. I guess that's those are the values is to navigate all these worlds being made um, in a way that um, you know is just is is uh, more more or less emotionally satisfying or whatever you know not just intellectually i guess that's part of the reason that i think the daughter's philosophy is an exemplar of how it ought to be done i think there's a stalemate between what we call philosophy and what we call science and that either one can defeat the other or either one can explain the other or whatever like if you come at it from a scientific perspective and if you classify the quote unquote soft sciences as sciences science can explain philosophy why do those individuals write the articles they write and utter the sentences they utter well social science can explain that but if you start from or come from a philosophical perspective you can question and undermine whatever the putative foundations of the sciences are and show how well you know you better not be so sure and when a stalemate of that type is reached a solution strategy that I prefer is to say well alright cool let's respect and do them both yeah. <laughs> and take the best out of each and dismiss the worst out of each and transcend everything into some new version of dawdling which is above both philosophy and science nice fucking <laughs> day let's do it are is you that with grandiose us? enough for you come on people let's dawdle together <clears throat> everyone will be late to that party for a good reason all right it, 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 can we end on that we've covered grew all right, do you want to manufacture an ending out of this and put some kind of apt song at the end? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm.